Hi, I'm Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Girl podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today, I'd like to look at what it means to develop true discernment in such a time as this, such an important period in history where we really need to be able to think and reason from God's perspective rather than the world's perspective. Before we dive into that topic, I wanted to let you know about an upcoming week-long discipleship training program at Ellerslie here in Colorado, and I'd love to have you consider being a part of it. If you are looking for an opportunity to come away from the distractions of your daily life and have your spiritual fire ignited, if you're maybe uncertain of how to live victoriously and fearlessly in these modern times and everything that's happening in the world, this can be an amazing life-changing week where you become even more grounded in truth and draw closer to Jesus Christ than ever before. So we've recently reopened our campus and we can have students here for in-person training, and we're so excited about this upcoming week-long program at the end of August. We also have a five-week program in September and another week-long program in November. So even if you can't make it out August 22nd through 28th, there are some other options for you. Just go to ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com to learn more about these programs. I would love to meet you in person and see you in Colorado later this year. So let's look at our topic of developing true discernment. There's an interesting verse in Acts 20, 28. It's near the end of Paul's life, and he's exhorting those that he has discipled to be watchful of the pitfalls and the deception that is creeping into the church. He says, also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears." That scripture stands out to me because Paul is constantly warning the church, the believers, night and day with tears. He's so passionate about their ability to be discerning and to be guarded against the wolves in sheep's clothing that are trying to creep into the church, that he's warning them day and night with tears for multiple years of his life. And if the danger was real in Paul's time, in the time of the early church, how much more so today when we are obviously drawing nearer and nearer to the end times with every passage year, we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ, and we see things growing darker and darker. It is so critical that we understand how to truly be discerning, how to truly recognize error before it sweeps us away. If you've listened to this podcast for a number of years, you may have heard me talk about a story that happened to Eric, my husband, when he was about 13 years old, and he is, and he and his family went to attend a Christian outdoor concert. And this was put on by a Christian organization. It was attended by loads of Christian churches and youth groups, and it was a well-known Christian band that was playing. But as soon as his family sat down on their blanket or their whatever, their chair, their lawn chair that they had brought, what they were witnessing on the stage was anything but God glorifying. There were a lot of smoke and lights and noise happening up on that stage, but it was very, very ungodly. It was very worldly. It was very self-glorifying to the artists. And really, the way Eric described it was just screeching, you know, this kind of Christian rock band screeching into the microphone in this really obnoxious way. You could not understand the lyrics at all. 
And to have all of this taking place under the banner of a Christian event was very disturbing for Eric's mom. He thought she looked around and she thought, I don't want my children growing up thinking that this is a God-glorifying event or that this in any way glorifies Jesus Christ because there's nothing about it. If anybody walked in from the outside, they would have absolutely no idea that this is supposed to be a Christian event. And so she told her family, we're leaving. And they didn't even make it through the first song. They got up, packed up their stuff, and left that concert. And later, we found out that a well-known Christian evangelist who's very outspoken about maintaining purity in the church, and he's no longer alive, but he was at the time, and he was there. And he was so disturbed by what he was seeing happening under the banner of Christianity that he started running up and down the aisles and yelling to all the people, Ichabod. And that's the biblical term that means the Spirit of the Lord has departed. And I'm sure that he was confronted. In fact, I kind of vaguely remember the story of him being confronted by Christian leaders and those who had put on the event. Like, why are you causing a stir? Why are you trying to warn people that this is bad? You know, this is just harmless fun. But he was so convinced that it was dangerous to be calling something like this a Christian event or something that glorified God that he wanted to warn the church. And I really have found that over the past few decades, there that's a that's a common pattern, not just in the area of Christian music, but just in the Christian church in general. There are a lot of what we might call smoke and lights and noise taking place under a Christian banner today. There are mega churches and Christian celebrities and trendy Christian me- messages that oftentimes try to dazzle us with all these impressive bells and whistles. They distract they distract us and they deceive us very often. And just like those Christians who went to that concert, it's very easy to just naively accept anything that's labeled Christian, especially when you see other believers enthusiastically participating in it. If you add enough glamour and hype to anything Christian and label it Christian, it's easy to become blind to the fact that the glory of the Lord, the Spirit of God, has departed, as that evangelist said. I remember early in my spiritual walk, I used to assume that every Christian book or Christian album that came out somehow had been spiritually directed and biblically tested by a committee of honorable, trusted, godly Christian elders. I had observed the fact, as many of us have, that so many pastors look to the newest Christian books to shape the direction of their sermons and their churches, and music leaders so often follow the trends of Christian music to shape their worship times. So it seemed reasonable to me that the messages that were so influential in molding the churches would have gone through a careful screening process to make sure that they were really in alignment with God's pattern and nature and word. It wasn't until Eric and I became closely involved with the Christian publishing and music industries that we realized how far from reality that assumption really was. I can still remember sitting across the table with the president of a large Christian publishing company, and he bluntly told Eric and I that Christian publishing is an industry, not a ministry, and that making money, not making disciples, is their ultimate goal. Now, of course, that may not be the attitude of every Christian publisher out there, but it was definitely the attitude of one of the largest Christian publishing companies out there, and it was really a jarring wake-up call for us to realize, wow, they really are focused on the bottom line, not necessarily on the glory of God. I remember another time meeting the CEO of a very large and well-known Christian record company, and he told us that most of the new artists that their company signed were teenagers who didn't care much about God, but they just wanted to 
to be famous. They just wanted to be on stage. And he told us, you know, it's really sad, but in the end, we have to make money, so we sign them as artists anyway. This is a widespread mindset in the Christian industry, and definitely we need to call it an industry most of the time, not a ministry, when you're talking about books and music and all the things that make so much money in the Christian world. That has provided an inroads for so many flawed messages to enter the church and to influence Christian thinking, because many fame and money-driven artists and authors have wreaked havoc upon the hearts of unsuspecting believers who assume that their messages must be healthy because they bear a Christian label. And then there, of course, is the incredible phenomenon of the internet, which is basically this new idea in the past decade or so. It's a platform that can enable us to become famous if we know how to wield it. You don't really need much knowledge of scripture or proving godly character to influence modern Christianity. If you have talent or writing skills or marketability and a strong social media platform, you can oftentimes make yourself the next big thing to hit the Christian world. I remember receiving a letter from a Christian publisher who was trying to gain some support from for an up-and-coming new author, and the letter didn't mention anything about this author's message or her walk with God or her spiritual background. It only talked about how many followers she had on Instagram and how many likes she had on Facebook, and it was as if her credibility as a minister of the gospel came solely from the fact that she had gained popularity and a following online. You know, it's really no wonder that there's so much confusion within Christianity today because we live in a time when, as it says in Isaiah 59, 14, righteousness stands at a distance, truth has stumbled in the streets, and honesty cannot enter. And that's really the state of our culture. And sadly, it's becoming more and more the state of Christianity as well, because truth-centered, Christ-focused, biblically sound believers are not always commonplace. A lot of times they have become the exception. And as we come more and more into a culture that is so high pressure to be politically correct, oftentimes what we see happening in Christianity are believers who are blending their faith with political correctness and the modern trends of culture to try to fit in and be acceptable to the world and bring in those worldly messages into the church as well. It's so critical that as we live in this era when lies are so commonplace, that we rediscover the lost art of godly discernment. In these modern times, we do not have the option of passively accepting anything and everything that's being dished out to us in the name of Christianity. God wants to equip us with the lost art of godly discernment, like I said. We have to learn how to clearly recognize the difference between truth and error and protect our souls against the enemy's lies. If we are not proactive about developing discernment, we are going to be in danger of becoming like the weak-minded women that Paul warns about in 2 Timothy 3. 6, where he says, for among them are those who enter households and captivate weak women or weak-minded women weighed down with sins. Now, captivate in this verse means to lead into captivity. So in other words, if we listen and agree with the deceitful voice of the enemy, with the lies of the culture, we can't be the bondservants of Jesus Christ because we are enslaved to a lie. We are taken captive by a lie. And weak women or weak-minded women in this verse is a contemptuous term that means silly and foolish. 
So you only need to study the fate of the fool in Proverbs to learn the end of choosing that path of becoming silly and foolish. But the good news is that God has not left us to fend for ourselves amid all the confusion and the deception that surrounds us today. He truly desires us to come to the knowledge of the truth, as it says in 1 Timothy 2.4, even more than we may desire it for ourselves. And he does not want us to spend our Christian lives being tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, as it says in Ephesians 4.14. Proverbs 8.33-35 gives us an amazing promise. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And that's in the context of godly wisdom. Whoever finds me, that godly wisdom finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. So godly discernment and wisdom is available to every one of us. It just doesn't automatically come, though. We need to understand that we have a responsibility before God to listen to His voice, to hear His wisdom, and not to disdain it, to watch daily at His gates, and to wait at the posts of His doors. And he promises that if we seek his wisdom diligently, we will find it. If you've ever struggled to know whether a Christian book or message or musician or blog or Christian leader or figure is truly Christ-centered, biblically sound, and worthy of your attention and your respect, then I really encourage you to actively develop and cultivate godly discernment. And I want to share four ways that you can start doing that today. The first one is to beware of itching ears, is what the Bible calls it. Several years before Jim Elliott gave his life on the mission field, he wrote in one of his letters about a woman that he knew who was defending a certain style of worship service, and she said that it was most satisfying to her as an individual. And as Jim reflected upon this comment, he remarked to someone in a private letter, what in all eternity has that got to do with it? Have her personal likes and dislikes any right to dictate method in the Holy Church of God? It is this attitude which has brought hopeless confusion into our present order. Let God be true and every man a liar. Is it his way? Then let my personal likes be filed in the waste can. It's a pretty blunt way of putting it, but I think all of us could really benefit from taking that attitude. Let God be true and every man a liar. If God says that this is right, if God said this is his way, then we just put our personal likes and whims and emotions off to the side because God's way is the only way that really matters. It says in 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, The time will come when they will not endure a sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And that is specifically talking about what is going to happen to believers, that their their hearts will be turned aside to fables because of their itching ears. Now, itching ears in this verse means to be desirous of hearing something pleasant. When we have itching ears, we no longer want to be molded and shaped by God's truth or convicted and refined by His Spirit. We try to modify His Word to align with our own ideas and desires rather than letting our ideas and our desires come under submission to His Word. And sadly, there are many ear-tickling messages that are very prevalent in the church today, messages that exhort us to pursue our own happiness, fight for our own applause, cling to our own desires and wants, pattern our lives after the trends of pop culture, treat sin with a wink and a chuckle, make 
the Christian life all about self, all about us. These are just a few of the most common ones. And so often these ear tickling messages come in very attractive packages. When a little bit of truth is carefully blended with an ear tickling lie, it's really easy to become convinced that it must be on target simply because it sounds so pleasant and so right. Ear tickling messages never bring us to a place of conviction, repentance, or brokenness over our sin. Instead, they just help us put a spiritual label over our self-focused and sinful lives, and they provide us with excuses for never needing to change or to grow. If you find yourself evaluating a message based on how it makes you feel or picking your truth based on your own preferences, then you're an itching years believer instead of a discerning one. Instead of asking, how do I feel about this? I encourage you to begin asking a totally different question. What does God say about this? And be willing to file your personal likes and dislikes into the waste can, as Jim Elliott said, in order to put God's way above your own whims. And remember, although God's conviction might sometimes prick and be difficult, in the end, it leads to abundant life and true happiness. So don't let your feelings and personal preferences overrule the gentle work of His refining fire in your soul. Those I love, He tells us, I rebuke and I discipline. That's from Revelation 3.19. So let's not quell that amazing work of God's purifying spirit by choosing itching ear messages over truth-based messages, because His ways, not our ways, are perfect. The second way to develop godly discernment is to make God's word your lifeline. And so many of us look at the Bible as sort of an afterthought. We base our entire spiritual growth on modern Christian books, and the Bible kind of comes in the background. We might read a scripture here or there, but we really don't know the Word of God. I remember reading about George Mueller early in his Christian life before he became an advocate for orphans and really an incredible hero of the faith. He really struggled with just not having a love for the Word of God. He said, I fell into the same snare to which so many young believers fall, the reading of religious books in preference to the scripture. My difficulty in understanding the Bible and the little enjoyment I had of it made me careless of reading it. And thus, like many believers, I practically preferred for the first four years of my divine life, the works of uninspired men to the oracles of God. The consequence was that I remained a babe, both in knowledge and in grace. And so many of us can relate to this. It's so important that we don't become careless towards God's word. There are a lot of devotionals and books and blogs and Bible studies available to us, and it's really easy to turn to those things as our primary source of spiritual fuel. But the reality is that nothing can replace the word of God. It's meant to be a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. And if we're careless towards his word, we're going to be susceptible to the lies of the enemy because our feet are not standing on the solid rock of his truth. Now more than ever, the Bible cannot just be a casual companion to us. It has to be our lifeline. We can't regard God's word as moldable to human opinions and ideas. We have to find out what God's word says and then build our lives upon that unshakable foundation. Now, of course, Christian books and resources definitely have a place in every believer's life, but if we allow human thoughts to take the place of God's word, our ability to discern truth from lies will be hindered. Corey Ten Boom once said, God's viewpoint is sometimes very different from ours, so different that we could not even guess at it unless he had given us a book which tells us such things. So good and so powerful. 
I remember early in my Christian life having heard a lot of right-sounding messages about building up my own self-esteem. I heard this everywhere from youth leaders and well-meaning Christian pastors, and they said, you know, protecting your sense of self is so important and so great that you just build yourself up and develop good self-esteem. And it wasn't really until a few years later when I truly began digging into the Word of God and immersing myself in Scripture that I realized that this popular notion of self-esteem was actually in conflict with Christ's very clear message of self-denial which I've talked about in other podcasts. But when we are ignorant of God's word, we are prone to being tossed about with every wind and wave of doctrine. When his word, though, is our lifeline, we are going to be so much quicker to recognize and renounce any ideas that don't align with his pattern. So I encourage you to set aside time every day, not just for casually reading your Bible, but for really digging into the scriptures and letting them shape your thoughts and your beliefs. Take time to memorize larger portions of scripture if you can and meditate on them often, or play an audio Bible like Word of Promise or so many other great ones in the background as you're doing things around the house, as you're getting things done, immerse yourself in the Word of God. And that way, whenever new thoughts or messages are presented to you, you can weigh them against the Word of God that you have hidden in your heart. Before you nod along with other Christians' ideas, stop and ask yourself, does this message really agree with the truth of Scripture? Not just on some points, but in its entirety. Do these thoughts tend to veer me away from Jesus Christ or lead me closer to him? Do they really align with the nature and the character of God? And if you're not sure, take time to seek God's answers in his word, because he has promised that those who seek him diligently will find him. Another practical way to develop godly discernment is to do something that I call embracing the old paths. I'll explain what I mean by that. As consumer-driven Westerners, we are often very drawn to anything new and trendy because we've been conditioned to seek after the latest and the greatest when it comes to everything from technology to coffee drinks. Sadly, we often take that consumer mentality into spiritual things as well. And so church leaders and Christian publishers are constantly trying to scramble to give the customer what they want by offering new and exciting bells and whistles to keep their consumer-driven audience interested. There are so many ways that we are doing this in the church today, and things like you know Xboxes and Sunday school classes because today's kids can't sit through a boring Sunday school lesson, or using you know interactive media and movie clips to try to communicate a sermon on a Sunday morning because people won't sit and just listen to truth being spoken from the Word of God. It's just this constant pressure that the church feels to somehow keep Christianity exciting. But we as believers have a lot of influence on this trend in the church. When we insist upon those bells and whistles to conf- to feed our consumer mentalities, we actually are robbing the gospel of its beautiful simplicity. We're diminishing the power of the Word of God. And we're becoming prone to deception because worldly tactics cannot communicate the undiluted truth of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with utilizing modern technology or creativity or art to help us deliver truth. But when our technology and our artistry promotes worldly things or exalts a specific person or some kind of trend, instead of lifting high the name of Jesus, we can be very sure that the glory of the Lord has departed. And if we're dependent on bells and whistles to be happy with a sermon or happy with a Sunday school lesson, then something is definitely wrong. One of the best ways that you can avoid becoming just another Christian consumer is by approaching Christian events and church services and books and music with a different attitude. 
Instead of asking, what am I getting out of this? We should be asking, what is God getting out of this? When our focus is on the glory of God, instead of just our own selfish wants, we're not going to be chasing after every new and trendy thing that flashes through modern Christianity. We will learn how to esteem the simplicity that is in Christ. So I encourage you to study the lives of men and women throughout history who walked those old paths of just simple, uncomplicated, powerful Christianity. Men like Hudson Taylor and George Mueller and D.L. Moody and C.T. Studd and Jim Elliott and women like Catherine Booth, Amy Carmichael, Elizabeth Fry, Corey Ten Boom, Gladys Elward, those examples can inspire us toward that singular aim in our Christian walk, not to be entertained or catered to, but simply to love and honor Jesus Christ. And the last point that I want to make when it comes to godly discernment is to understand the nature of God. It's really easy as you start to grow in discernment to start looking at other Christians who don't have discernment with a critical eye, a critical spirit. Oswald Chambers once said, God does not give us discernment so that we can criticize, but so that we can intercede. So if you are frustrated with other Christians in your life that don't seem to have that kind of discernment, I would really encourage you to start with prayer. Don't start with that critical, angry spirit. It says in James that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So it's not just standing for the truth that matters, but standing for the truth in God's way, according to his nature. And his nature is patient and loving and gracious. So it's very possible to stand firm in your convictions while still exemplifying the love and humility of Christ but it doesn't happen by accident. So I would encourage you to look to the scriptures and study the example of Christ and the example of strong but humble leaders like Moses and David and Paul who stood strongly for truth, but they also demonstrated the love of God in the process. While you grow in discernment, ask God to simultaneously infuse you with his heart, his love, and his burden for those who are lost and those who are compromising within the church. Because unless you operate in an attitude of love and grace, your zeal and power passion for truth will be rendered completely ineffective and empty. Here are some final thoughts that I want to share with you. Becoming a discerning Christian in such a time as this can feel overwhelming with all that is creeping into the church today. But here's what we have to remember. We cannot grow in godly discernment by looking to our own effort or willpower. We need to ask God to equip us with that supernatural strength and wisdom only He can give. And He can remove the fog of confusion and give us a clear understanding of His truth. When we seek His wisdom, diligently we will find it. And secondly, we need to remember that Christianity in a nutshell is all about Jesus. Maybe we don't have every doctrinal notion figured out or every theological argument perfectly polished, but really it's all about setting our gaze upon Jesus Christ and letting him direct our steps. It comes down to this, reject messages that lead you away from him and embrace those that lead you into a fuller surrender to him. If you fix your eyes on Jesus, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, as it says in 2 Peter 1.8. I love this promise from Jude 1.20, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And I love that because he is able to keep us from stumbling when we rely on his strength and not our own. It is God alone who keeps us from stumbling. So let's offer ourselves fully to him, holding nothing back that he may lovingly shape us into lights that shine with his glory in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to take these truths deeper, please visit us at setapartgirl.com where we have loads of resources for you on building a Christ-centered life. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-focused week.